Tell you what, we're happy. It's because you missed out on the brown yesterday. Good evening. It's great to see you. It's good to have some visitors with us. And uh, they made a little bit of a drive up from Sunnyview, Farmington area. So uh, it's great to have them uh, at the appropriate time. Tim Glassoff, the preacher and one of the elders there, will lead us in our opening prayer, and then Vernon is going to lead us in our singing, and Caleb's going to take care of the closing prayer, and some fella came all the way from Springfield, Missouri, that's going to preach for us tonight, and, uh, and uh, it's just, uh, the lessons he presented yesterday were outstanding, and if you were here to hear them, that's one of the reasons you're back, and uh I'm looking forward, and I told him, I, I found out the sermon tonight's about me, because it says the five states of man, and I found out I was the man, because I, I lived, now I visited all 50 states, but I lived in Kansas, Texas, Alaska, Oklahoma, and Missouri, five states, so it's got to be about me. I'm going to see what he knows about those states, but <clears throat> might be a little different than that, but uh, anyway, that's just the weird way Kendall's head works, but. Uh, a little off kilter, but I also thought it was interesting. This is the first time I ever remember being at a gospel meeting on Halloween. But Ray's a little spooky, so he's the right guy for the for the lesson. No, uh, to be serious, uh, if you know uh, me, I pick on everybody, but I think the world of Ray, and he's been a good friend for over twenty years. Uh, faithful gospel preacher. He is the uh, preacher at Kansas Expressway in Springfield. It's one of the teachers and works with all kinds of things in the Bible Institute of Missouri as they train preachers. And I always tell people the way you judge a preaching school isn't by the teachers, but by the students that graduate from there, because that tells you how well. And I know, and you, the members here know several graduates, so uh, that says a lot. Uh, also, he's involved in preaching schools in Africa, so he's a busy man. He's a busy man. I know here in just a week or two, he's going to hop on a big bird and head that way, so uh, we'll be keeping him in our prayers. But tonight, we can hardly wait for Kendall to be quiet and sit down so that uh, Tim can get up here and lead us in an opening prayer. Tim, would you do that, brother? Good evening. Hope you all have had a great day. I know that I have, and I've been able to actually rest a little bit, which is really weird for me. So if I fall asleep tonight, I'm so rested, then you'll know what happened. But uh, and then we'll all be sleeping, so it'll be a little different. Anyway, it is great to be together as God's people tonight and to be able to share together in the Word of God. What a privilege it has been to be here. I was telling uh, some the other day that my uh, son said that it sounds like I'm going to be in a food coma from all the food that you all keep feeding me, uh, lunches and dinners, and so I love the potluck, and I've loved the pizza with uh, different folks, and I've loved Brother Kendall. He's taken me out, and now I've also uh, today been able to go over to um, the home of the family of the the younger foxes, and so uh, enjoy being with Caleb and Jamie and appreciate so much the fine meal that I had there, and you all are just so kind. It, it's like coming home. Uh, 
uh, and being with family here, and that's what's nice about it. It's not like really being amongst uh, strangers, but people that I've known all my life. And some of you I have known quite a few years. Some of you I haven't known very long, but just a few days, but it seems like our life. So it will be that from now on for sure. And I tell you what I look forward to is that someday we're all going to be in heaven together. That's what we can work toward and the goal that we can have as God's people. And again, I'm just thankful for the church here, the desire that it has to stand for God's word. Uh, your good minister and Brother Kendall and, of course, Tammy and the great work that they do. I love them both. Appreciate uh, his love of the truth and his soundness. And I'm always thankful to have opportunity to uh, be involved in these types of uh, evangelic, evangelistic efforts and efforts of encouragement here in America also. I do focus a lot in Africa, but it's nice to be able to do it at home sometimes as well. And not to have to use a translator. I mean, I just speak English, and I think y'all understand. Y'all seem to understand okay, and it, it makes it uh, a little bit different uh, than being in Africa. There's plenty of lights in here. Uh, you all smell good. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not too hot or cold. There's a lot of benefits. It's hard, hard to bring them all up. Well, most of you smell good. I don't know. Maybe I I gotta be careful. I don't want to start lying up here. All right, we've been looking together then at a really fundamental series as was chosen by the brethren here in relationship to really comprehending what it is to live that Christian life and to be what we need to be. And so to fully understand that, yesterday what we were able to do is to look at the very foundation of things, which is the Bible. We also looked at the idea of Christ being the one in authority, and then we also saw the Lord's church. And so very simple, very fundamental lessons and then tonight, we are going to talk about what Brother Kendall said, which is this idea of five states of, of man. And this is uh, an idea that is not original with me. I've uh, heard it preached before in, in times past, a little bit of a different way, but uh, preached before in relationship to the, some of the main points. I can assure you it's not talking about physical states. And I want you to notice as we go along, there's two states that he doesn't want to be a part of, <laughs> but uh, there might be some states in this country we don't want to be a part of, so there might be some application there, but I'm not going to waste time on it. But at the same time, there are different periods that every human that lives, every creation of God goes through, and there's a lot of different ways really you can break this up. If you were to get on the Internet, you might find some claiming six or eight states or some claiming three states, and so there are different ways that you can really break it up. But I think the idea of the five really shows a clear depiction of something that, that we all are going to have to deal with and make a choice in. And so I'd like to begin this evening in the book of Jeremiah chapter 6, if you want to begin to turn over there. And as you turn to Jeremiah chapter 6, I remember when I was in high school that one of the assignments that I had is, was to learn a poem. And one of the poems that we were given an option of which I couldn't tell you today if I had to, unless you put a gun to my head, then I still couldn't, but was the, the, the poem, um, The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And so I can remember the idea of the poem, though, uh, the idea of going and looking down roads, and, you know, as far as you look, you're trying to determine which road am I going to go down. And that's a decision that we as humans make every day, whether you're Christian or not. But it certainly is an even greater decision 
that Christians make. And I want you to notice something that Jeremiah records here in verse 16. He says there in verse 16, stand in the ways and see. What's interesting about that idea is that some translations say stand at the road or stand by the road and look or see what is available. But then as he goes on, he says, and ask for the old pass where the good way is and walk in it, then you'll find rest for your soul. But then he said, we will not, or rather they said, we will not walk in it. Normally, if we think about the idea of, of old pass or things that are old or fuddy-duddy or things that are not up to date or, or things that are passing or the way grandparents used to do it, we, we look at those things in a negative way sometimes. And we say, well, things are, are modern and new and better, and, and because of that, we want to keep up with the times and the ages. But notice what he actually says here. As you look and you see down that road, as you consider the path that you might take in life, there are different paths, and some of those paths really might pertain to really things that have always been done or accomplished a certain way, and then there might be paths that are full of humans and, and individuals who are doing things that are contrary to the will of God. There might be all kinds of roads that we have to consider. And isn't that kind of the idea that even Jesus himself presented as we move over to the book of Matthew chapter 7? You remember well with me there the great Sermon on the Mount when he spoke of the way that an individual can go, and he describes it in the context of two different gates. He says, enter in at the narrow gate, verse 13. For wide is the gate, and broad, here it is, is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and here it is, difficult is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. At the end of the day, we know that there are important choices that we are making and deciding every day that can not only affect the life that we live now, but even eternally. You know, our lives, we, we make split-second, simple, uh, non-life-altering decisions every day. But do we understand that sometimes we're making those bigger decisions every day? Sometimes the, the decision I make today or for the next few days literally could change the course of my life forever. And what's even scarier than that, it could change the course of my life eternally. So that's why we're thinking about this idea of the five states of man. And so the first state I want to talk about is a state that really no one has control over in this room. But if you'll turn back to the psalmist, he well describes the first state that every person who exists today or who has ever existed or who will ever exist in Psalm 139 has been determined by something greater or more vast. And there in that text, if you'll look with me, beginning there in verse 13, notice what it is that the psalmist says. For you, speaking of God, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. <coughs> my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skilled, skillfully wrought, rather, in the lower parts of the earth. 
your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Well, we usually like to come to this passage to really deal with the concept of abortion, which we know certainly would be against what God proclaims because it's taking the life of another being or person created by God. Notice that God has even in the womb established us. And that first state is obvious then that we are conceived and we are born. Everybody here, you wouldn't be here tonight if you weren't born at some, and, and, and if you were, we need to talk later. Because I, I don't know, I, I'm probably not going to believe you anyway, but I'd like, I'd be real curious to know how you're here without birth. Because we know that is the, the way through conception and birth that someone is brought into the world. And you had nothing to do with it. Your parents made that decision. Maybe it was a good decision. Maybe if you asked them today, it might be a bad decision. I don't know. But you had nothing to do with it. But now you're alive. And now that you're alive, that state has been determined. You are living and breathing, but how fearfully and wonderfully. Your parents may have conceived you, but conceived you as God molded you as that potter molded you. So you're special. You're a creature that God has made unique and unlike any other of his creatures. Maybe, yes, we're mankind or, again, human. But we're all unique and special and wonderfully made by our creator. Certainly that should, should indicate to us that in the fact that we are made in the very likeness of God, the very image of God, that we have every reason then to understand how significant, how significant it is that we are born and that we therefore bear, bear responsibilities as humans. Because you remember with me back in Genesis, what humankind was identified as, the one who was given what? Dominion. We are the ones who are different. I actually was passing through a show today on television, and it was kind of showing how that if you're a dog, a human, and you're a dog, you're kind of a dog, or you can be a dog. or I, I don't, you, know, you, know what, you know how our society is going. If you think you're a cat, maybe you're a cat. Uh, you just claim what you are. Uh, you know, I'm actually an African. I'm black. I just look white. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's uh, if someone from Africa were to come and say the same thing, uh, you know, they, th that is obviously not the case. It doesn't matter how many times I go to Africa or visit Africa, and by the way, I'll leave next Tuesday, uh, I still am an American, and I still am, am white in that sense. And so there's a distinction there, although you do have, as many don't understand, uh, both your black African and your white African and your colored uh, individuals in South Africa and such. So, so it's a whole other culture and such in many of the nations in Africa that you might go to. But again, who made every one of those people? Who made every one of those races? Who made the Chinese or the Asian Indians? And who made the, the uh, different cultures? God made them all. And every one of them, every individual, every soul is fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter what some denominations used to say about some of those souls or the lack thereof of souls. The fact is, is God's creation is perfect, like God is perfect in the sense of the opportunity and privileges that we have through him. Notice something that Jesus said about children, and I, 
I love kids. There's not anything much more precious to me than than kids and interacting with kids and being involved with kids. And now I can actually say having grandkids. I know last time I probably spoke, and, and y'all heard me, I, I used to complain all the time about not having grandkids. Now I've got one on the way and one who's alive. So now I'm starting to wonder. I don't know. Be careful what you ask for. But no, I, I actually love my grandchildren. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 19, you remember what Jesus said there around verse 14 concerning children? It says, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the what? The kingdom of heaven. And then if you go back actually into chapter 18, he again then talks about the humility of a child and, and reemphasizes the fact before that that again, such is as in the kingdom of heaven. So what we know about children is there's an innocence in children. There's a simplicity in children because they've not yet known what we know that messes us up, that makes us what we shouldn't be. Now, let me give you an example of that. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were made in the likeness and image of God and they were sinless? Do you remember that? When they were first created, they were sinless. And until they ate of what tree? the knowledge of good and evil. When a child's born, what do they know? They know, oh, and they know one other thing we won't talk about. That's all they know, and that's why they're crying. Normally, if you fix one of those two problems, children are good. Now, until they what? Until they start getting a mouth and they start talking, that's when children begin to understand knowledge. I should or shouldn't do that. Isn't it interesting that all of us have experienced, in a sense, what Adam and Eve did? We were innocent and perfect and unique and holy and and everything God would want us to be, and then all of a sudden we again get a mouth or we get thoughts or we get ideas, and before you know it, where are we? We jumped off a cliff or we're doing things that are contrary to God. Well, we know the Bible says that certainly sin is a problem, that sin is a plague, but you don't know what sin is until you know what unrighteousness is, and you don't commit sin until you commit unrighteousness. We know that because in 1 John chapter 5, 17, all unrighteousness is sin, but then we know, when you go to the book of Romans, that the wage of sin is death, and therefore, until you know that you are doing against righteous things or against the will of God or those things that are according to his will, you have not yet really got that understanding or that knowledge, and therefore children are singled out, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, given the opportunity to be everything that God wanted them to be. And we always look there in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, but I don't really want to look at that when the wages of sin is death. We know that one, but if you go over to chapter 4, or rather 5, It's interesting that he reiterates that very same thing in verse 12. When he's talking about the fact of the flesh and the spiritual side of man, he says, therefore, just as through through one man sin entered the world, Adam, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. You know something else that we all have in common? We're all sinners. Now, that could be another state. See, somebody might say, that's another state. That's not one of them I'm actually going to talk about. But another condition of man. There's a point 
that although most of us in this room are Christians, there's a point that we all come to realization that I need God because I have sinned. And without forgiveness, I'm hopeless. I'm lost eternally. And so with that mindset, what do we know? We need something greater than us. But then I think there's something else that really kind of puts the icing on the cake there for the idea of uh, one who is fearfully and wonderfully made and, and how children must grow up and there has to be that knowledge at some point. And that's found in James chapter 1. And we know there's a great discussion there about sin and really the moment of sin and what is considered a sin by James. But do you remember what he says about sin? He says, we sin when desire conceives. What does that tell us? If desire has to conceive, you first have to have knowledge that desire can conceive. And then once it says that desire conceives, it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. And so, because we are born, because we are human, and because we all will sin and do sin, that automatically leads us to a consideration. What state will we choose to live in? Not Missouri or Tennessee or wherever it might be. What state, what condition, what will our decision be? Now, unfortunately, we know the stories of the Bible. What do most what do most people choose? Well, they choose the wrong state. And so let's look back to Genesis chapter 6. This is probably one of the, the saddest and most unfortunate passages that we read about the condition of men in relationship to people in Noah's day. And I want you to notice with me how it is worded, how it is described the condition of God's ultimate creation, those that God made fearfully and wonderfully in his image, what was the result? Verse 5, and the Lord saw the wickedness of man. What was It was great in the earth, and not some, not most, but every intent of man's thoughts in his heart's were evil continually. Now that tells you and, and really sums up well what the earth is like today. Look at our country. There's a lot of good things about our country, and I, I love our country, and I love the people of our country and the souls of our country in so many ways, but at the end of the day, who do they serve? They don't serve our God. They don't serve him like we serve him according to what he required by his authority and what is established by the church. And therefore, what have they chosen? They've chosen in their hearts. And how evil would you say things are in this country at times or throughout the world? Evil sometimes. Uh, when, when can you find something nasty on TV? When can you find something nasty on the radio? Man, half the songs, I mean, you're sitting there, what? My kids the other day, I was listening to a song, and they said, uh, uh, Dad, you might want to turn the channel. I said, man, it's got a good beat. I said, uh-uh. I mean, what this song was saying, because I can't hear half the things they're saying anyway. I mean, because I still like rock and all, all kinds of music. So it's just like blah, 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 blah. It's just the beat I'm listening to. Now, see, a lot of y'all can relate to that. But at the end of the day, what do we again see in that? The world is ever-changing, and it's not for the better. It's not for the better. 
the problems that we find and the, and the conditions of man and society. And, you know, we have an election coming up and, and how scary it is to think about the elected officials, no matter what side they're on and the bad decisions that people are making every day that, again, not only affect me but affect my children. You know, there's been a, a flood of, of a homeschooling lately. Why do you think that is? Because you can't count on what's going to even let alone be taught, happen in the classroom. And who's going to come in and drag and read a book to your kids in the name of, oh, well, we got to let everybody have their opportunity to change. Or that's so-and-so's dad, or that's so-and-so's brethren. Some choose the world. I'm also reminded there in the book of Judges. Do you remember that, that phrase we find early on in the book of Judges and near the end of the book of Judges in chapter 17 when it says, everyone was doing what was right in their what? Own eyes. Isn't that what we do today? And isn't that what we try to also do? Even as Christians, unfortunately, we try to justify and do what we think is right. How many people tell you, well, well, that's, that's what I believe and, and here's what I think. What's wrong with here's what God says? What's wrong with, again, declaring the truth according to the will of God and therefore understanding that we don't want to be like all of those before, but that we will not reject God? Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with me. Understanding the plight and the problem of the Old Testament and all those who chose their own way and rejected God, the Thessalonian church was no different, and there are several verses that actually help us with that throughout the Letters to the Thessalonian church. But here specifically, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, within a discussion about the desire that there needs to be for uh, a greater righteousness or purity or that which, again, is not according to the world and the sins of the world that many were being caught up in, even who were called Christian. Notice what he said there in verse 7 and 8. For God did not call us to uncleanness. But, but in holiness, how, how, what? He made us fearfully and wonderfully. He made us in his likeness and his image. That was never his intent. God never wanted Adam and Eve to sin. But in the fact that they were made in his likeness and image, he had to give them the right to make the choice. That's why we have the right to make the choice. Well, that's again what we find right here. They again are being told, God did not call you. His desire is not that you choose unrighteousness. But verse 8 Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but who? God. People reject God. People reject the righteousness of God every day, and yet they will claim to be followers of God. They'll put names on buildings that have nothing to do with Christ or nothing to do with serving Christ. I know just on the way here, I think I passed three other denominations or religious buildings, and not a one of them had the name Christ or anything to do with God on their signs. Isn't that sad that not only the world, but religion has chosen to reject God by doing what? What is right in their own eyes. What they choose, what they serve. I don't think there's any text that really describes it any better than there in Romans chapter 6. And we normally go to Romans 6 to talk about the concept of baptism, but there later in the same text, I want you to notice with me what it is that he mentions starting around verse 16. He says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave to obey? 
and whether therefore you you are are that one whether of the sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness you see the choice that we have what will we choose righteousness or unrighteousness what will we choose a life in service to god or a life in service to satan you can't have it both ways you can't be in the middle You can't say there are more than two states. You're either serving God or you're not. And if you're not serving God, you're serving self, the world, or ultimately what the Bible says is you're serving Satan. So what state are we in? We can't leave the discussion of this state without understanding the results. And if you go back to Thessalonians again, one of the perhaps scariest verses that I find in all of Scripture that doesn't seem to even uh, scare my brethren or denominational friends at times is that which is found in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. And there, if you look with me in verse 7, he says, and to give to you. He's just mentioned what he's going to do for the righteous, how he's going to help them to overcome tribulation, how he's going to deliver them. But then he's going to give to those who have troubled, troubled, what? Verse 8 goes on to say, flaming vengeance. Those who not only do not know God, but those who do not obey the gospel. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. The idea of a flaming vengeance, a vengeance again of what we know to be eternal damnation or again contrary. Those who choose contrary to God who will be cast into what the Bible says, eternal fire. And even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12 said, but even the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why was that? In that context, he's talking about those who had by unbelief turned away from their God. Now, I've got some good news, though. The good news is is that we're made in the image of God and fearfully and wonderfully made for the purpose of being like God and righteous and live as we should, but as we're given freedom and choice and as we gain knowledge, we do at times choose sin, and everyone at some point turns to sin. So the good news is is that God knew that was going to happen. God's an all-knowing and all-powerful God, and so he made a plan, chose a plan. We talked about that plan some yesterday, but I think there in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we learn a verse that perhaps is more important in connection to what we're talking about right now. God's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But what does he do? He's long-suffering. How much has God put up with in your life? How much sin has God put up? Even as a Christian, do we have any Christians here that still sin? Who sinned today? Please don't raise your hand. That's another lesson. I'll have to change lessons. Who sinned? We've all sinned most likely. And so what do we need to understand? We need to understand that we have a need to come to repentance. God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, he has done what is necessary. And, and I'm not only talking about just Jesus, but what I love is as you go back to the Old Testament, What do you see? God spoke to the fathers. God sent men like Moses. God sent great prophets. God sent men like uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and minor prophets. He sent even righteous kings. He sent disciples and apostles. He sent men like John 
the immerser or baptizer. He sent all of these people with one purpose. And what was that? Repent. Why do you need to repent? Because of sin. Not because God made you like that. Oh, but God made them like that. They can't have... No, not because God made it, because you chose it once you gained knowledge of it. When you look in the mirror and there are certain attributes that you have, you are male because God made you like that. And the same with female. And you learn that by knowledge. You know where you learn that you're not a boy if you're a boy or you're not a girl if you're a girl? Knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Not God's knowledge. The world's knowledge. Brethren, may we never fall prey to choosing the knowledge of this world or things that are contrary to God. So we now understand that we've been brought into this world, conceived and born. We know also that most, not not some, most choose the world. But then another beautiful concept throughout the Old Testament is this word, remnant. You know, you got a garment and there's a remnant, just a... A small hem right there or something. You see the whole coat, but you just got a remnant, a small piece of the cloth. And the Bible describes the faithful as the remnant. So to understand that, again, we could think of Noah briefly. What did the remnant mean in Noah's day? Eight. Eight in a population of multiple millions in that day. You can go through all the stories of the Old Testament, and you'll find over and over that the remnant seemed to shrink and get smaller and smaller, even with God's people. And so as we think about the idea of the remnant, guess what? God has chosen all men, but again, some of us have chosen God. Now that is another state, an opportunity that we have to say, I am a believer. What makes us a believer? John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him will not or shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We all want everlasting life. Do you believe? Belief is that key that causes God to understand that we have chosen him. Now, what does belief mean? Belief means a lot of things. Belief means action. Belief requires the concept of a connected idea of faith. There are actions involved with belief. It's not just a matter of saying, I know there's a God, or, oh, yeah, I think there is a God. It's a matter of acting upon belief in order that we might what? Show we've chosen God. How does God know we love him? You already know the verse. We keep his commandments. That's the point. So we understand that process. We understand the Bible says, he that believes and is baptized, Mark 16, 16. So we understand there are things connected to show belief or to demonstrate faith because we know the Bible says it's impossible to please God without belief or faith. Therefore, think about how privileged we are now, again, created, and, you know, you just, you, th- you think about, all we can do is think about God from the physical standpoint we are. But, again, I a lot of times just see him as that, that potter. He probably had a hard time making me because I'm, I'm what, not the easiest guy to look at. But uh, you just think of that potter sitting there making it, knowing that there's not another vessel like it, uh, not another fingerprint, uh, not anything else or anyone else on all the earth like that. And although that's the case, God chose me knowing, knowing. Uh, You know, people when they have kids, most people know when they have children, children are, 
are enjoyable and children are fun. Children are a lot of work and children are a lot of trouble. Now, is it worth it? Yes. <laughs> no, I love my kids and they, they know that. So that's why I can tease about it. But worth every second, every pain and trial that you went through that you're still going through, and that you'll st- keep going through until you breathe your last breath. But kids are worth, grandkids are, all those things are worth, God chose us. God made you. God made us. Isn't that a beautiful concept? Turn over with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 3. This is a beloved section here about God's love in chapter 3, but then chapter 4 really emphasizes the love of God and how God first loved us in so many ways. But here in chapter 3, what I like is that he starts out with this. He asks a type of a rhetorical question, which means he's making a statement about what it is that we should understand. He says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. God chose me. God chose you. He he wants all men. He chose all men, but he chose you and me because we responded. We responded to the call. We have responded to the conditions. We have reacted. And if you look at the context and you go down to verse 3, he talks about how that we are holy as God is holy. If you look at verse 7, he talks about how we are righteous as God is righteous. Everything about being a child of God is being like your dad or your mom. All the time, I'll pick up the phone and somebody will start talking to me and they'll say, oh, I thought you were Jerry. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> and sometimes people see me and say, well, oh, I thought you were, you know, you look just like your dad. Oh, help me. My, my sons hate that. And they say, you look like your mom. They like, they're fine with that, but you look like your dad. Oh, help me. Now, what they really don't like is when you say, when they say, uh, you act like your dad. See, Caleb can relate with that here with Kendall. But um, we again understand to be a child of, we demonstrate the characteristics. And if you go back to the beginning and understand that concept of, well, we brought you into the world kind of a concept. God brought you into the world. He made you in the way that he made you. And he made you special and unique. And he wants you someday to come and live with him eternally in heaven, despite the fact he gave you the opportunity to choose whether you'll do that or not. That choice is up to us. To be called the chosen of God. To be called the elect of God. Colossians chapter 3. Paul there to the brethren in verse 12 said, Therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Holy and beloved. How do people know that I am the son of my father? How do we know that we are the sons of God? Because we are holy as God is holy and we are beloved as he is beloved. And we're going to put on those things that identify us as the elect of God. The chosen of God is what that word also means. He mentions there tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. He talks about forgiveness. All of these are God qualities. You know what you're striving to be like? God qualities. And when people see God qualities in you, they see God, not you. That's the point. That's the point. There's not a greater compliment that I can have than somebody says, you remind me of your daddy. That's a compliment. Don't you like it when somebody says to you, 
Oh, are you a Christian? You must be a Christian the way you're at. Or the way you're acting here, you must be a Christian. I remember one time I was in Walmart during the holidays, you know, when those lines get longer. And that, that poor lady's hair was like, you know, she'd probably been there all night long, and, like, she was, like, ringing up, and people were hollering and screaming and fighting over, you know, a, a piece of gum or something. like. It's just crazy. But I finally got up there, and I said, hi, how you doing this morning? Like, I thought she was going to hit me. But uh, she actually looked at me, and she said, you're different. <laughs> she can tell. People can tell when we're different, when we don't behave like the mob or the masses around us, when we're unique, when we're those who have been added to the fold of God, the church we talked about yesterday because we've chosen to be saved as God has designed. So hopefully the state that we choose is a place where God is, the faithful of God. So we have that choice. We have that choice in this life to choose between serving God, a slave of righteousness, or serving Satan, and a slave of sin. But then there are two final states, and we're going to talk about these just briefly because the next two nights we're actually going to have a lesson on hell only, and then we're going to end on Wednesday with a lesson on heaven. So uh, you come tomorrow, you'll know why, where you don't want to go, and then you come on Wednesday, you'll know where why you want to go get back right with the Lord <laughs> and, and get things correct. But those final two places which you have a choice in, are heaven and hell, that final destination. I want to look at primarily two main passages to understand this together. I want to first go to Luke 16. Some will talk about the fact that uh, this is a, a parable. Some will say this is a literal event. It doesn't matter. Either one indicates to us the same thing in Scripture, that it's based on something that is a reality. Jesus didn't talk about dinosaurs or, or, uh, or, or, I don't mean dinosaurs, but like spaceships or things that weren't really realistic to, to make points. He used things like farming, or he used different things like um, perhaps the, the sick needing a physician. That, that's how he worked. And in parables, certainly, he was using very common things that could be really able to affect anyone in the crowd generally in order to teach a lesson. And certainly that would be the case here. But what I'd like you to notice with me, a few things here before we move on to that next text, is that we, we see the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And I'd like to read together just a few of these verses, and beginning there in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, indicating royalty and power, money, and fared sumptuously every day. And that's about like I've been eating here. Uh, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate. He desired to be fed with crumbs, even the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. But the dogs even came and licked his sores. So he was in bad shape. Verse 22, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And the one being in torment, tormented in Hades, cried out, and this is the rich man. And so we're going to save some of those verses for our other lessons. But what I really want you to understand, first of all, is in relationship to what is called this Hadean realm. The reality is, the fact is, is that we all will die. As sure as we are born, 
we will die. Now, some people will say also that's another state. Death is another state. To me, death doesn't matter because death doesn't affect us one way or another except we have no more opportunity to change that final state. So when we look here at this, we know we will die. We know we will be judged. We know that in 1 Thessalonians, as we will see in a couple of nights, that the dead in Christ will be raised first and the faithful will be caught up together with the Lord and be taken there to heaven. We know, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. We know these things are taught in the Scripture, but what happens when we die? We go immediately to a Hadean realm, even if the judgment has not yet happened. We've already judged ourselves. That's the point. We've already chosen our state today. We've already chosen our state today. If you've lived today and been ungodly today and you know that you've been ungodly today and you've not repented of that, you've made a choice today that you want to go to hell. And if you've lived faithfully today and you've been penitent today and you've asked forgiveness today and you're living as God asked you to live in the light of God and the Lord comes right now, you're going to heaven. You shouldn't question that. You know. You know how you're living, and you know what state you're in, and you know what condition you're in, the same way that I've always found it interesting that the rich man doesn't seem so surprised. He's not like, well, how'd I end up down here? I mean, I'm just flabbergasted. I mean, what on earth? And it wasn't like Lazarus is even saying, well, I thought for sure I was going to lose my soul when I died. You know, it's as if we expect there to be someday in the final judgment and as if people are going to be surprised. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised. I think that they're going to know because people are either committed and serving God. People's works, Revelation 14, 13, are either following them into the grave and they'll be saved or not. And that's based on what we do today. But that other text that I want us to look at is Matthew 25. And this is an interesting text as well because to me, it gives not only the ultimate outcome in such a clear way, but it also mentions something that I sometimes feel about my own brethren or myself as it describes here in the first few verses. Notice what verse 1 begins there in, uh, well, um, not verse 1, but down in verse 31, rather. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So we, we see it's talking about the, the coming of Jesus, the Son of Man is Christ. He's coming down to do what? Uh, with angels to uh, sit on a throne to judge. The judgment seat is what it's called there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And what do we see next? Verse 32. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. As a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. We had an African brother who uh, always said uh, the mbuzi had to get in the boot of the car. What he meant is the goats had to get in the trunk is what he was trying to say. It was a, he was using it as a joke, but if he was teasing, he'd say, the goats are in the back, uh, so don't get up here with us. Uh, so he, I, I think of that brother uh, every time when I read this passage. But he's clarifying the idea of sheep and goats. 
And the sheep are referencing the concept of the faithful, as we well know later in the text, and the goats, as even we would find under the Old Covenant, were those that were a lesser animal in consideration of such things. Now, the next thing I want you to notice is what he says to the righteous. So let's continue there in verse 34. And the king is going to say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer and say to him, But Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? They actually question him on every facet. In other words, they're saying, I didn't do any of those things. You're giving me credit for something I haven't done. But the king says in verse 40, he answers and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And the last part of verse 46 actually says, But the righteous, those are the righteous, the sheep, will go where? Into eternal life. But what about the unrighteous? What about the goats? Let's read about the goats. Continuing on there in verse 41. Then he said also to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer and say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? We would have done it to you. Verse 45, then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Now we all know what the basic application of that story is. But what are the two states? Now, this is just day stuff. Giving somebody a drink, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink of water? I'm hungry, can I have, man, I'm cold, can I have a coat? Just simple everyday needs that should be met. And the indication is is that both groups are indicating if you, Lord, had asked yourself, we would have done it. So what distinguishes the two groups? The sheep were doing it for others in the name of the king, and the goats weren't doing it for anybody. Now, what was the outcome? Verse 46 again, these, the goats, will go away into everlasting punishment, and the righteous into eternal life. Despite what the world says, as sure as there is an eternal heaven, there is an eternal hell. We're going to look at that again in detail tomorrow. But those are states that you are choosing tonight. Tonight. Some of us will leave here tonight, and we will choose sin tonight. If we're not careful, we will choose sin. We will leave here, and we'll watch something we shouldn't. We'll again listen to something we shouldn't. Some of us will choose sin because we'll leave here, and we'll uh, have that person pull out in front of us and say, that's sorry, dog. My kids, my kids used to always imitate me. I'd say, what are you talking about this day? Well, that's what you say, Dad. You've got to be careful. We can 
at any moment choose the wrong path. Choose the wrong path. But with the help of God, with the love of God, with understanding that we are the creation of God, with the message of God, with the assistance of our beloved brothers and sisters, we can live righteously and we can accomplish the task that God wants of us. And that task again, brother, is to live exactly as God made us, fearfully and wonderfully. From conception to death and even eternal life, God wants you in heaven. You remember that old sign, that old army sign? God, not God, but the army wants you. (laughs) That's what God wants you. God wants us. And he's going to do everything to make sure we make it if we live according to his will. He's there to help us. So tonight, as a child of God, I'd ask you to consider your life and make sure you're right with God. If you need to repent, we're going to give you that opportunity. If you're not a Christian, certainly we always challenge you to obey the gospel plan of salvation. That gospel is according to only what Christ has given by his authority that we mentioned even yesterday. Tonight, if you'll confess the name of Jesus, repent of your sins, and be buried with your Lord and Savior in baptism, he alone who has the power and authority will add you to the church by and through the demonstration of your faith that you have proven your belief in. And therefore, you'll be added to that church and be able to live according to what we're talking about this evening, the state of faithfulness or righteousness that ends up ultimately in a mansion in heaven. So why not make sure you're right with your God tonight as we sing that song of encouragement. Please come to the front as we praise God together.